Would you take your Bibles, please, and join me in Philippians chapter 1 as we return to our study of the Apostle Paul's letter to the church Philippi. Philippians chapter 1. We'll begin by reading verses 9 through 11. And this I pray, that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment, that ye may approve things that are excellent, that ye may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ unto the glory and praise of God. Last time we considered verse 8, and how greatly Paul longed after the saints in Philippi. He earnestly desired to be with them. He longed after them, the Bible says, in the bowels of Jesus Christ, meaning the tender mercies of Christ. He had the same affection for them as Christ had for them. And the application was simple for us. Do you long to be with the saints of God? Do you have the kind of longing where... A preacher doesn't have to beg you to be at church. Is that the kind of longing you have? A healthy church looks forward to when the church is assembled together once again. We also considered from that statement in verse 8 how Christ longs to be with us. He has gone to prepare a place for us so that when He comes back, we can go with Him, we can be with Him and live with Him for all eternity. So that where He is, He said... There ye may be also. Hallelujah. Now we only touched on verse 9 last time, but we saw in the beginning of the verse how we will be in prayer for those that we long after. It's an indication of if you love somebody, you pray for those you love. And when you have the affection of verse 8, you will pray for your church. Praying for one another, I believe, draws us closer. It gets us more in touch with one another And there's a a better relationship that develops as a result. And remember that Paul doesn't pray for them to have love, but he prays that their love may abound more and more. And he doesn't have to pray for them to have love because as children of God, we'll have the fruits of the Spirit. The first fruit listed by Paul to the Galatians is love. So we don't have to pray, Lord, give me love for this person. Amen, all you compassionate folks. We just need our love to abound more and more because as children of God, we ought to have love. And 1 John 4, 7 and 8 that we sing on Sunday nights, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. And everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. He that loveth not... Thank you, Sherry. Knoweth not God, for God is love. That's not an isolated passage in 1 John. You read 1 John and you'll be easily convinced that if you don't have love for the brethren, then you're just not in Christ. Not my words. Those in Christ will have a love for the brethren. And obviously love is something that can grow deeper because we can abound more and more in love. So I'm not saying we're all going to have this mushy love for one another. It's something that maybe develops as we get to know one another and we go through battles together, those kind of things. 
Some people will rub you the wrong way. That's okay. We are to love them all the same. Now let's dig deeper into verse 9 here. And this I pray that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment. So we see specifically that Paul is praying for them that their love might abound more and more in knowledge and in judgment. What does this mean? Well, the knowledge that he speaks of, of here, it is not limited to just factual knowledge. It is much more than that. This is more than just having head knowledge of doctrine. A lot of people know doctrine, right? This is going beyond that. This is an intimate knowledge of knowing God. Perhaps you've been around those who know all these doctrines. And they can let you know they know all of these doctrines. They know all of the ologies, all of the isms, all of the Asians, A-T-I-O-N. I don't know if you know the type that I'm referring to. But they can discuss theology and angiology, anthropology, bibliology, Christology, doxology, ecclesiology, eschatology, soteriology. That's just to name a few. I went to a website and looked at all the different ologies. <laughs> they can discuss all the isms, agnosticism, Gnosticism. Creationism, dispensationalism, evangelism, legalism, premillennialism, textual criticism, theism, just to name a few. I went to a website, looked those up. They can discuss adoption, the Asians, adoption, regeneration, inspiration, revelation, imputation, incarnation, justification, propitiation, reconciliation, redemption. That's not an Asian though, is it? Sanctification, that is, just to name a few. And I'm talking about those who have this studious knowledge. They have a handle on different philosophies and practices. They understand various, uh, various processes. And while they can speak intelligently on a multitude of teachings, they're lacking the most important knowledge... And that is knowing God. Seminaries are full of people just like I described. And I'm primarily talking about those seminaries that are not under a local church, but these seminaries that were once great institutions in our nation. They're now very liberal places. And people who can run circles around you with the knowledge that they have of all that they've learned... But they've never learned to walk with God. When I first began my secular collegiate journey, I was allowed to take a class, I think it was an elective or something like that, because it was called New Testament Survey. It's one of these very generic classes. Perhaps some of you have taken a class like that. They're almost boring if you've been in church for any length of time. And um, very general. But... The so-called professor who taught this class was just whack. He was really out there. And 
he was the pastor, if I remember correctly, he was the pastor of a church of Christ. And I'm not, I'm just giving you information. I'm not making a knock. I, I believe he was a pastor of a church of Christ there in Virginia, uh, in the local area there. And it was odd because as a pastor, he gets up to teach this class, but he denied the virgin birth. This is day one. And he was mocking the infallibility of the Word of God. He was practically making fun of the Bible. A pastor and a teacher in college on the Bible. It was awesome on the first day because I got to hear all the other students really just pick at this guy and made him look like a fool, really. I was just enjoying the show and couldn't have defended myself at that point probably if I wanted to. I'm not proud of that, but that's just where I was at at that, at that time in my life. And I promptly dropped the class um, the next day. And I was like, I'm not paying to hear this guy rail against the Bible. Amen. And, and listen, if you're paying for your kids to go get educated in that junk, you need to rethink it. Well, anyway, that's good preaching. But, I mean, this guy was a wolf in sheep's clothing. It was really terrible. But, like I said, at that time, he would have talked circles around me. But I knew immediately this, and that's what's interesting, is you can tell right away he had no walk with God. Even as someone who wasn't walking with God the way they should have been, wasn't as knowledgeable in the Word of God as they should have been, immediately it was known, it was evident, something, this guy doesn't know God. He had, he had head knowledge that to him was correct, but he, he didn't walk with the Lord. And there are plenty of people who have acquired a lot of knowledge about different doctrines, but they don't have the foggiest idea of what it means to walk with God. And listen, this may blow your mind, but our independent Baptist churches are full of children that know what to say, when to say it, and how to say it because that's what they've been brought up in. But they don't know how to walk with God. And that's why there's this gap which takes place exiting teens and becoming a young adult. There's a gap there usually. Because they have not learned to walk with God and God has to do a walk in their life. There are people who are called scholars of the Bible. I love these people that are scholars. And yet they don't know anything about the Bible. All they do is nitpick. They pick it apart. And really what you want to do is stick them in a corner with a dunce cap on. The good old days when you could shame people. And there are people who are given a lot of credibility but they don't know anything. And, and really all they do is they cast doubt on the veracity of God's Word. But they've got letters behind their name. So what? So what if you got your doctorate if you don't know how to walk with God? Somebody help me preach. Therefore, I'm not interested so much in what people say they know. But I am very interested in who they say they know. Amen. Now, this won't be a direct quote, but I remember listening to Oliver B. Green preach um, back in 76. I was not present. And he made the statement to this effect. I would rather hear 
an ignorant hillbilly proclaim the blood of Christ, then some silver-tongued orator deny the blood. You understand what I'm talking about? People who have walked with God. A.W. Tozer said, He that is from above is above all. And I want to say to you Christians, don't go around apologizing for Him. Don't go around worried because you can't make His doctrines fit in with what you've learned in school. All you learned in school was one fallen head instructing another fallen head. You don't have to go around apologizing for Him. End quote. Now to be clear, there are some great seminaries out there. I'm not saying there's not. Staffed with people who actually know God. But how many seminaries could we list that have compromised or are no more? And so Paul, I'm saying all that, he's, he's not praying that they have a head knowledge, that their, their knowledge necessarily of doctrine would abound more and more. We'll get to that in a minute under judgment. He, he's first trying to say this, you need to abound in your walk with God. You need to have a knowledge, an intimate knowledge of God and what He has done with you. And if we're going to be in fellowship with God, we must walk with God. Amen? And, and so we cannot allow things into our life which disrupt our walk with God. Because what will end up happening is we'll just become focused on the, the head knowledge. And we'll lose the heart of it. And what ends up happening is you end up becoming somebody who knows the letter of the law, but you've forgotten what the spirit of the law means. Jesus addressed this thing, and I'm getting ahead of myself here, but He addressed those things with the Pharisees. We'll catch up to that thought in a minute. And so we've got to have this, this heart knowledge where we abound more and more in God's love. And this knowledge, it can only come from being a child of God. And it is a work of the Holy Spirit of God making Himself, making His love manifested in your life. This knowledge is an intimacy with God. And what this means for the child of God is that we have to stay in harmony with God. And when we choose not to, even the child of God, they can have all of this head knowledge, but choose not to have a close relationship with God. Amen. You can know all this stuff, but not have a close relationship with God. And maybe you're not experiencing God like you know you should or know that you could. Maybe you're quenching the Spirit in your life. Maybe you're despising prophesying, preaching, Maybe you neglect the Word of God in your life. Maybe you're having fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness. And all these things will hinder God being made known in your life. And these are the things that have happened to those that we once held in high esteem and now they are no more. We used to look up to maybe this pastor or this preacher, this teacher, and we held them in high regard. And yet we find out later not all was well. And they're no longer preaching. Some people are no longer in church altogether because they let some of these things come into their life that hindered their walk with God. So we have to guard ourselves. The religious Jews, 
had all kind of head knowledge when you read through the Gospels. But they had allowed corruption to blind them from God's Word. They had become corrupted to the point that they missed the Messiah. They were blind to the arrival of the Messiah. Can you imagine? Paul wrote in Romans 10 that his heart's desire was for Israel to be saved. And he said this, I bear them record that they have a zeal. They have a zeal without knowledge. Same kind of knowledge Paul is talking about here. They have a zeal, but what they don't know is how to walk with God. They're content to have corruption and sin and all these things. And Paul says, look, it's one thing to have a zeal, but if you don't have it with this kind of intimate knowledge of God, you're heading in the wrong direction because what's going to happen is that kind of zeal without this kind of knowledge, it's going to lead to violence. It's going to lead to hurting people. It's going to lead to these legalistic type things. And it's going to lead to being very judgmental. We just look at the Pharisees. Look how violent they became as a result of having all this head knowledge without heart knowledge. John 16, 2 and 3, Jesus says, They shall put you out of the synagogues. Yea, the time cometh that whosoever killeth you thinketh that he's doing God's service. And this is what he said after that. And these things will they do unto you Listen now, because they have not known the Father or me. It is knowledge of doctrine without knowledge of God, which leads to ungodly violence. Many people have pointed to the Crusades that happened around 1100 to 13 AD and said, see, Christianity can be just as violent. Well, if you know anything about the Crusades, that was zeal without knowledge, led by the Catholic Church. So, no, they're, they're not... We can't put those in the same category. And so we must, be a, we must move beyond this shallow form of Christianity where you know the doctrines, but you don't have a walk. We've got to move beyond that to where we are now walking in step with our Savior. Amen. Knowledge of doctrine is good, but it is only going to benefit us as we know God personally. John 14, 21, Jesus says, He that hath my commandments, he that has my word, he that has the knowledge of these things, and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me, and he that loveth me shall be loved of my Father, and I will love him, listen, and will manifest myself unto him. Do you, do you see what's happening there? We need God made known to us. We need this knowledge. We've got to have God made known unto us. The only way for that to happen with any real depth is when we choose to not only know the commandments, but we choose to obey the commandments. Jesus says, the ones who love me, these are the ones who I will manifest myself to. How do we know we love God? When we keep His commandments. That's what Jesus taught. John 14, 23, two verses, or yeah, two verses later says, Jesus says unto him, If a man love me, he will keep my words. <laughs> and my father will love him and will come unto him and make our abode with him. Yeah. You know what God is saying? If you love me, you keep my commandments, I'm going to come and take up residence with you. Amen. I'm going to live with you. This is the true Christian life. 
Christianity, listen, it is not manifested by making a statement that we have been forgiven. That doesn't manifest anything to anybody. We're stating a fact. We're stating an aspect of Christianity. But we're not showing anybody anything. I can't see your forgiveness. And so we can tell people that all we want. And while that's the beginning of the Christian life, the Christian life is manifested to others as God takes up residence within us and changes began to manifest themselves outwardly as He's working inwardly. Then people look and say, I can see the change. And I don't want you to misunderstand me and suppose that I'm limiting the need for attaining doctrinal knowledge in our lives. I'm not. But we must have the walk of, with God that backs up the doctrine we say we believe. And the Apostle Peter, he gives us the formula. Over in 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 5, he says, And beside this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and add to your virtue knowledge. And there's a formula there in which Peter is trying to let us know, look, when you get faith, don't just jump to getting all this head knowledge. You've got to have virtue. You have to have a walk with God. That virtue is you keeping the commandments, is loving God. And you add to your faith this virtue, which is this excellence that we have being in Christ and walking with Him and wanting to know Him. You add to your virtue, or you add to your faith virtue. Virtue comes by loving God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. You get that virtue that way. And then Peter says, once you have faith... Once you have virtue, then you add knowledge. And the knowledge he's talking about there is the head knowledge. It's a different Greek word than the knowledge we have here in Philippians. And so Peter's saying this in essence, get your heart right first, then you can learn head knowledge. And this has never been more complicated than it is in the day in which we live. We have so much technology at our fingertips. I have seen it frequently now with young men. And they come in never having added virtue to their faith. But they're clicking away on YouTube, listening to all these sermons, going to various websites. They're, they're seemingly planting themselves everywhere but in their local church. And what they're doing is they're ingesting all of this knowledge having never learned virtue. And, and what happens is you get way ahead on things that you're not even really ready to handle. At a time when really you should be on the milk of the Word, desiring the sincere milk of the Word, you're wanting to jump into this strong meat and you ain't even got teeth yet. Hey man. And it just leads to all kinds of problems. They jumped right in without ever adding virtue. So I'm all for head knowledge. But you must learn to love God and His commandments in step with your learning. I hope this is all making sense on what I'm trying to communicate here between these two. Learn doctrine, yes, but have your heart right. So what if you can quote all these verses if your heart's not right? So the question is, what kind of knowledge do you have? So I know the Bible. I read it through once. I know what it means to be saved. Great. Do you know how to live the Christian life? 
Do you have a book knowledge of God or do you have an experiential knowledge with God which comes from walking together with Him? And like Paul, my prayer is that your love may abound more and more in knowledge, in knowing Him, having a friendship with the Lord. For this to take place, we must be in prayer with our God. We must be in God's Word. We must be faithful to church. And it's this kind of intimate knowledge which makes a church a real church. We are not wanting to gather together for sake of religious observance. For the sake of saying, well, I appease God tonight because I showed up at Wednesday night prayer and Bible study. But we want to experience God corporately. To know Him better. To obey Him more. To experience God dwelling in us. Well, Paul goes on to say in verse 9 that I'm not only praying for you to have this kind of knowledge, but I'm praying that your love will abound more and more in all judgment. Judgment is our ability to discern what is our perception of what is right and wrong. This is where Paul is saying like Peter, they're, they're essentially saying the same thing. Add knowledge to your virtue. They're, they're saying the same thing. It's not that you have an intimate knowledge of God or it's not that you're going to have this book knowledge and automatically get this intimate knowledge of God. You have, to, you have to walk with Him, know Him personally, and then you abound in judgment as you are in the Word of God. Because how are you going to know what the judgment of God is? Well, by getting in His Word. Amen. This is why people don't have a problem going on in sin. We don't know the judgment of God. We have to read the Word of God, study the Word of God, memorize it, meditate upon it to learn right judgment. Not the world's judgment, but what does God say? We need to know the right judgment, first of all, in regard to our own personal salvation. Do we even know what our standing in God is? That God has judged us righteous by imputing Christ's righteousness upon us. That we are declared justified in Christ and that our standing is secure. And that the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. Then we learn what is acceptable in His sight. We learn to discern what is acceptable. We learn what will be a sweet-smelling savor to our God. We learn that His ways are good. Do you hear me tonight? That His ways are right. That we desire to do right. The best way you will receive the assurance of this judgment is by first abounding more and more in knowledge. So hopefully you can see how these two go hand in hand. I mentioned last time that by our love abounding more and more, it does not mean that we have to compromise. Some have this idea that if, if I'm going to love somebody, then I have to be accepting of all their, their sin into my home. No. Sometimes children are too young. We understand that. But listen, there comes a point where you're so concerned about driving them away. Why don't you be more concerned about doing what's right in God's judgment? 
And, and I've made it very clear to my children. You start using this house as a sanctuary for your sin, we're going to draw a line in the sand somewhere. We learn what is right, and then we practice it. When your judgment is abounding in the love and the knowledge of who Christ is, you'll get clarity on how to handle such situations that come up. There are times to embrace, and there are times to let go. Think of the father of the prodigal son, or prodigal sons as Larry preached recently. The father let his younger son go into the world in order that he might be broken and come to himself. That father, he had discernment. He had judgment. I'm sure it was not easy. But there is a time and a place for that. And it takes discernment. However, if our knowledge and our judgment is only pharisaical, then we'll be no different than the Pharisees in the process. Our response will be the same to the people as theirs were. And we'll end up like the older brother who instead of rejoicing when the younger brother came home, he was upset. Imagine. He that was lost now is found and I'm mad about it. So as we live in God's presence, we get the heart of God on difficult matters because we are becoming more like Him. Then we have right judgment. Now I want to be clear on something. Every situation is unique, okay? There's not always this open and close, this is how you handle this situation. Your child's going to be slightly different. Your situation is going to be slightly different. And, and I always work under that idea that, listen, if I have it black and white, I'll give it to you. Otherwise, we, we need to work through this thing because it may be more complicated than we realize. But we got to have God's judgment in all matters. Therefore, we must go to God. And so we need judgment in our personal lives as well. What is right for us? Not just as we look at our children, as we look at others, but what is right for us? What is God's judgment in our situation? What would God have me to do? And it's those who have yet to, who have yet learned to abound more and more in knowledge who have the most difficulty in discerning what is right and wrong. Because their knowledge of God has yet to drive them to the Word of God and seek of truth. Instead of being like some who just blindly go forth into situations because we're under God's grace, we must have the mind and the heart of God on every matter. What does God's Word say about this lifestyle choice? Amen. What does God think about this? Not is it okay with this one or that one. But what does God's Word say? What is God going to say about this choice I'm about to make in my life? And you will only hate sin and love God to the extent that you know His judgment. Hebrews 5.14 says, But strong meat belongeth to them that are of full age, even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. How do you discern what's right and wrong? In the Word of God. And to have their senses exercised there in Hebrews means that their judgment or their perceptions have been exercised or trained. And so being skillful in the Word of God allows us to discern what's right and what's wrong. And why are these two things so important? Why, why do we have to have knowledge and judgment and why do we have to have them in that order? Well, because of verse 10. 
that she may approve things that are excellent, that she may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ. And obviously we're not going to get through this verse tonight, but let's at least consider the first half of this. Why do we need knowledge and why do we need judgment? For this reason, that you may approve what is excellent. Amen. That you may test things. That's what it means to uh, approve here, that you are testing it. That you are not going off of what you think is best, but you are going off of what God said is best. That you are not settling for mediocrity, but that you want what is excellent, what is best. We have to do some examining along the way in our life. We have to examine things to know whether they be excellent. In contrast to what is counterfeit. So we don't want to only know the good from the bad, but get this. We don't only just want to know what's right and wrong and what's good or bad. But we want to understand what is best from among the good. Good is the enemy of best. Don't settle. This is what we want for our children. We don't want what's good for them. We want what's best for them. We try to teach our children this principle. We don't want them to settle for a good spouse. But we want them to have the best spouse. Don't just get a good one. But get the best from among the good ones. And it doesn't matter if they profess Christianity. Are they living Christianity. Not do they profess to know God, but are they walking with God? And this is why we need the Word of God. Because we don't need emotions alone in making our decisions, but we need what is excellent according to God's unchanging, stable Word. And this is why daughters need their father who can see past the infatuation of this guy. Well, I think he's cute. Does he walk with God? Amen. Now listen, I don't care if the guy's cute. That don't affect me one bit. You can tell me that all you want. I'm not connected to this guy emotionally. And we can have an honest conversation because you need to be choosing what's best. Not because, well, it's good. I don't see cute. I see character. This is why sons need their mothers to look at their sons and say, I don't care how much fun you have with her. This is not who God would have for you because I can see her character. And I understand if both parents are in the home, both should be on board making equal decisions here. But listen, as a father to a daughter, I'll kill. Amen. Amen. And mamas just love their boys. This is why we need this. Because those of us who are not emotionally attached, we can see the character. And we can say, look, that may be good, but is that God's best? And this principle goes for all people in all situations. I know i got to finish this. I don't care if it's marital decisions, financial decisions, church decisions, career decisions, moving decisions. You pick the decision. Ask yourself, what is right and then, what is best? Amen. Amen. And you make that decision and you approve what is excellent. And listen, I'm, I'm here today in this church because I wanted God's best. Amen. 
it would have been good for me to live in Tennessee. But it wouldn't have been God's best. And I knew that that was going to trickle down to my wife and my children. That if I settle for what was good in my life and not what was best, it's going to affect what they receive. I mean, what is it, minus five out there right now? But you got to want God's best. And listen, it may be difficult to do, but you do what's best according to knowledge and judgment. So I want to just close with this. Know God more intimately. Know right judgments and abound more and more in these two areas in order that you will be able to approve what is excellent. Amen. Amen. Let's pray.